Hey, it's Jesse. NPR is doing its annual survey to better understand how listeners like you spend time with podcasts. So please help us out by completing a short anonymous survey at npr.org slash podcast survey. That's all one word. We would really appreciate your help to support NPR podcasts. That's npr.org slash podcast survey. All one word. Thanks. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. First up this week, Bill Hader. Of course, you know him from his time on Saturday Night Live. He was a genius impressionist. He did a mean Alan Alda. But maybe his most famous character was Stefan from Weekend Update. You remember Stefan. If you're ordinary or love salt, (laughs) I've got just the spot for you. New York's hottest holiday club is... Could you, uh, could you use that in a sentence for me? Um, in a sentence? Yeah. Um, let's go to... Because the line is too long, it's... Hater left the show in 2013. He's performed since in movies like Trainwreck, Inside Out, Sausage Party. With his SNL pal Fred Armisen, he co-created and starred in the IFC show documentary Now. His latest project is a TV show called Barry, which is in the middle of its third season. I talked with Hader in 2018, just as the show had launched. If you haven't seen Barry yet, well, first of all, you should see Barry. It's great. Second, it is very different in tone from pretty much anything Hader did before. Bill stars as the show's title character, Barry Berkman. He's an ex-Marine turned low-rent hitman turned aspiring actor in Los Angeles. It's a pretty intense program. The stakes in every scene feel real and earned. Pretty much every character on the show is a trauma victim, and it engages those traumas in plain human ways. There are also some very silly, laugh-out-loud funny moments in the show. Funny moments that are sometimes bookended by brutal violence. Here's a little bit from the show's first season. Barry is in a hotel room. He and his partner, Fuchs, played by Stephen Root, have flown to L.A. to kill a guy named Ryan. Only, Barry doesn't kill him. And in this scene, he tells Fuchs why. Something really, really cool happened, okay? Okay. I followed Ryan yesterday, and uh, he went to this theater to take an acting class, and I ended up doing a scene with him from True Romance. True Romance is a movie. Yeah, it's L.A. theater, so I guess all the scenes they do are from movies. Point is, I was really good. And uh, afterwards, I hung out with all of them. Them? The acting class, and they're super nice. The whole class, including the guy you were supposed to burn? Ryan Madison, yeah. No, he's a great dude. And uh, I don't know, they just made me feel really good about myself, you know? And uh, you know how you and I talk all the time about my purpose? You think acting could be your purpose? I don't know. I just, I, I, don't, I just feel really motivated right now or something. Like, it made me feel really good. Okay, but what about what we do together, Barry? Well, you know, they told me a very small percentage of actors actually make a living acting, you know? So yeah. Most of them have day jobs. So oh. I just figured, you know, I do night hits or oh, something. Oh, 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 oh. Just... 
<laughs> Bill Hader, welcome back to Bullseye. Hey, nice buddy. to see you. Yeah, good to see you too, man. Um, I didn't, I guess I hadn't thought, ever thought about it, but I didn't know that you hadn't directed anything before. Yeah, no, I hadn't. Because you're one of the most borderline compulsive uh, film nerds that yeah. I've ever spoken with on this yeah. show. And I'm including like whatever lifelong movie director Ryan Johnson or whatever yeah, right. is included yeah. in that you're right up there with them Elvis Mitchell you're yeah. right on that list yeah when I get around those guys we have a really fun conversation that <laughs> it's outside people I think looks like we're speaking a different language why know? do you think that is that you'd never tried to do that well, I think because, you know, I moved out to L.A. in 1999 to do that, and I didn't have any money, so I was just PAing and stuff like that. And and that, you know, making money as a crew person, you know, takes up all your time, and then I would be done, and I would have no energy to do anything. And so that coupled with you come to L.A. and everybody wants to do that. And I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was the only one that wanted to do that. And so you get a bit insecure and a bit intimidated. And then you also just don't want to be just another person with final draft on their laptop in a coffee shop. You know what I mean? You kind of, so I would keep it to myself more, I think. And then the third thing I would say is I had that thing. I don't know if you can relate to this, or, but, but what I liked was the best thing. You know, it was so if I made something, it had to stand up to, you know, Spinal Tap or Dr. Strangelove or Taxi Driver or Jaws or whatever it was. You know, I, I put too much pressure on myself. So I would make little things and then I would start editing them and I would go, this sucks, you know, and I would discard it. So the good thing about doing sketch was that it was weirdly disposable, you know, you went up, you do, or, or improv, you would do Im, uh, an improv show and it was just, well, that went good or well, that didn't go good. Let's move on. There's a great interview with uh, Ira Glass where he talks about the point in your career that no one tells you about is the point where your tastes outstrip your abilities. Yeah. So you have gotten to the point where you have taste. You know what, you can recognize something that's good. You can look at your thing and say, Oh, but this isn't that. Exactly. And it's, and it's a, that's a much more eloquent way of putting it. <laughs> and, but it is, it is a thing where you look at it and just say, uh, I just don't have it. And what the good people, um, everyone, if you go back and look at them, even Scorsese made these great short films and stuff, but who's that knocking on my door? It took years to make. And then he came out and some people liked it. Some people didn't. It got him. A, it got him a job doing a, a Roger Corman movie. You know, it wasn't until Mean Streets. It wasn't until his third feature that people went, "Whoa, this is really good." So everyone's journey is is different. I think there's also a uh, a weird perspective that it gives you to work on a film set, and this is from. I mean, I've worked on a film set five days in my life or whatever. Yeah. But like uh, from, you know, my best buddy was a PA and uh, whatever the lowest level of producer is on things for the first eight or ten years that he lived out here. And the things that I remember him telling me about were that at the PA level, half or sometimes two-thirds of the people who are your coworkers are so incompetent mm -hmm. that you can't believe that they could have ever gotten a job. Yeah. But then, you know, everyone else 
pretty much is hyper-competent. Yeah. <laughs> and so you get this weird, like, either you get, I guess, a confidence boost from the fact that you're there working hard and the other people who's someone's nephew yeah. aren't. Uh, or you're just like, I don't, I, how, how would you ever... And yeah, it's also so all con- like comp- yeah. the the competency part is so all consuming. Yeah, yeah. You just, I mean, I, yeah. You would call those people furniture. That's what we call those people. <laughs> we would go, oh, that person's just furniture. You would, you know, they they're just useless. But yeah, I mean, I I just know that when I was on movie sets, it it at first it made it seem so impossible because it was so big and this giant army of people making a thing, and you're so exhausted, and you're just to try to keep your persistence of vision, that was a hard thing because each day is different, a new problem, and you just go, oh, gosh, I hope this all cuts together. I hope, you know, we're all telling the same story. That's the kind of thing that I learned over time what makes a, a bad product. I think we might uh, share some personality traits. I feel like I almost like lucked into having any kind of career at all because I am the kind of person who's terrified to try and do something really special and amazing because I feel like I could never actually achieve what I wish it would be. Exactly. But then one day in college, I walked to the college radio station and, you know, you get a show on the college radio station and you have to fill that time. Yeah. You can't not show up. Like, right. that's not one of the choices. So the fact that I've, you know, done this dumb show once a week for uh, 19 years or whatever. Yeah, and I knew about this show and when I got SNL, I mean, you know, 2005, it was, you know yeah, what I mean? But, like, I imagine SNL was, like, uh, a similar thing. Like, one of the things about Saturday Night Live is that it's live. Yeah. And you have to do it. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, my God. No, I hosted last weekend, and I was a wreck all week. I mean, I had friends who, who've who only known me post-SNL, and they went, wow, you seemed uh, like you're having a nervous breakdown. I was like, oh, no, that's just my SNL face, which is <laughs> I'm just very focused. And, um, you know, and Lauren Michaels, to his credit, came down before the show and went, you know, you relax <laughs> he's like stop worrying have fun he's like you're gonna be fine i go i know this is just my process <laughs> you know as i kind of have a flip out and you know the thing that uh alex bays used to run update he would always say to me you know after everything i'd run up to him was that good was that was that good was that all right go, yes bill stop you know because i don't even really hear the audience Even more to get into with Bill Hader after the break. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, we're listening to my 2018 conversation with Bill Hader. From 2005 to 2013, Hader was a regular cast member on Saturday Night Live. These days, he's the star and co-creator of Barry the comedy on HBO. Hader plays the show's title character, a hitman trying to give up his life of crime to become an actor. The show is dark, funny, action-packed, and is in its third season now. Let's get back into our conversation. I read an interview recently 
with Norm Macdonald. And I don't know, I mean, we're roughly the same age, and Norm Macdonald was my hero when I was Oh, yeah, on Update. He was in real. Yeah, yeah. The, the, it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen him. Yeah, him on Update with Downey writing was kind of the, the golden. And he talked about the fact that he regularly had panic attacks at Saturday Night Live, including on the air. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, Norm Macdonald though in some ways he appears to be completely insane, yeah. is a very cool customer. Yeah, he is. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I've never met the man, but... Uh, He's very know. cool, yeah. And it really uh, it really blindsided me, that fact and that insight into what his actual experience in that world was, because I thought, you know, well, it, it, his anxiety attacks weren't about the head of NBC not liking him for making fun of O.J. Simpson. Yeah, they just were just doing about, it. Yeah, yeah, he seemed like a real ballsy guy. Yeah. And yeah, that, oh, even he got, I think it's the week is really hard on you. And when you do, I had a panic attack on 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 air once when I was playing Julian Assange. And people watched it and they can't tell, but I, I knew that I started sweating and I started, I, when I, my things where I couldn't project my voice, I get very quiet. And people can't hear me because, you know, I would just I would start to just crumble. I remember I was a Ronald Reagan robot once in a cold open and I couldn't project. I just didn't project my voice. And and uh, Seth Meyers went, oh, is there something wrong with the microphone or whatever? I go, no, 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 I'm, I, I'm having a, I'm having a panic attack. <laughs> but even other cast members, and I don't want to say their names, it's, it's, you know, have come to me and said, oh, no, I had a full-on panic attack. Or I had one cast member just, like, left, just flew home. <laughs> just, I can't, I need, I just, my brain's a little broken. You know what I mean? And, and. I, you know, for, so I missed a show for a week and I get it, you know, cause it's a lot of accumulative stress. But you did it for eight years and you were good at it. Yeah, I know. And it was hard the whole time. It was never. Do you know you were good at it? I, I know I was good at it. Yeah. I never, I look at it and I'm someone that's very much going like, ah, geez, I, I again, what we're talking about in my head, I'm projecting this. And then when I see it, I'm like, oh, I can hear my voice in that impression a little too much. Or, oh, gosh, I wish my physicality was a little different. I thought I was doing this, but instead it looks like that. And um, and that can be exhausting to talk to people about where they go, Bill, it went great. Like, relax. Um, but I, for me, it's, it's mostly, um, yeah, going like, okay, that was good. And I, I was happy on on Saturday that I kind of said, oh, I'm just going to have fun, you know, and throw that out and hang with the cast and just goof around and, and, and just have a good time. I want to play a clip of you doing Stefan on uh, the recent Saturday Night Live that mm-hmm. you hosted. And, Stefan is like a, what is his setup, like a nightlife correspondent or something? Yeah, he's supposed to tell people, tourists in New York, where to go. Um, and, you know, this is this is, was uh, maybe your best known recurring character oh, on Saturday doubt, Night Live. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of Vincent Price fans out there. Yeah, no, but this was the thing that when people come up to me, this is usually the thing they talk about. And, I, you know, I think I said this the last time you were on the show, but I, sincerely, I think it's the funniest recurring character I on Saturday Night Live. Oh, that's nice. Of ever. (laughs) Oh, thanks. It's just usually is just this list of weird specifics that John Mulaney or you and John Mulaney or... Yeah, John Mulaney and and I and um, 
I remember once that guy Joe Mandy had thrown in a couple that they used, but um, but mostly it's Mulaney, and um, and then between dress and air, he would he would change things around or he would show them to me as I was walking out. Sometimes I'm reading them for the first time, but a lot of times it's it's a lot of time it's it's him kind of as I'm walking out, like oh this got changed to this. And I go, okay, <laughs> you know, this character is now called Gay Leota. And I go, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then I'm saying it for the first time on air, but he's told me and I start laughing. Um, but what also is happening is that the cue card guys are laughing. Seth would be laughing. Chris Kelly, our stage manager, is right off screen. And he, he's laughing really hard. And I'm a soft touch, man. I laugh really easy. I, I just laugh. Well, I mean, it's a pretty funny set. Let's listen. If you're drunk in Midtown doing cheap Coke <laughs> off your laundry card, I have just a place for you. New York's hottest club is Gersh. Inspired by true events. This, this former CVS, which became a Chase Bank and then became a CVS again has a familiar yet troubling feel, like when Larry King would play himself in a movie. <laughs> I hadn't read that before. That was a new thing Mulaney put in. That was the Larry King thing. Like, that's a good example. Like, and then when he came out, Mulaney came out as my lawyer shot. And, um, and he, I, I just, you know, I'm supposed to whisper in his ear. So I go, I just said nothing. And then he whispered, uh, my girlfriend works at Yoshinoa Beef Ball. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, a Japanese-themed chain restaurant that's yeah, only on the West Coast. Yeah, it's only on the West Coast. And it just, just to, again, just, it's just people, mostly John, throwing rocks at me to make me break. And it works. I want to play another clip from Barry, which is my guest, Bill Hader's new show. He stars in it and co-created it and directed a bunch of it, um, including this episode. So Barry is a hitman who uh, takes a shine to an acting class accidentally. And his in this scene, he is talking, he's basically trying to talk accidentally trying to talk his way into this acting class. He's come to one and accidentally been involved in it and thought this is kind of amazing. And it had never occurred to him that something could be this magical. And he stops Henry Winkler's character. His name is Kusino. He's the acting teacher in the parking lot mm-hmm. and is talking to him through his window. And Kusino basically tells him, you stink, go home. Yeah. You want to know what I'm good at? I'm good at killing people. <laughs> yeah, when I got back from Afghanistan, I uh, was really depressed. You know, like I didn't leave my house for months. And uh, this friend of my dad's, he's, uh, he's like an uncle to me. He, uh, he helped me out and he gave me a purpose. He told me that, that what I was good at over there could be useful here. And uh, it's a job, you know? I think the money's good, and uh, these people I take out, like, they're, they're bad people, you know, like, they're pieces of shit. Um, but lately, you know, I've, like, I'm not sleeping, and uh, that depressed feeling's back, you know? Like, 
Like, I know there's more to me than that. And he says, oh, did you improvise that? Yeah, yeah, he thinks it was from a play, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you worry that you would be uh, paralyzed by your influences and that you have, you're such a connoisseur um, of film especially mm-hmm. um, and comedy that that would tighten you up, especially writing in a world that has, there's, there's some really, really great hitman things. Yeah. Like all of 1990, all of the nineties was people trying to make cool hitman things. Yeah, and I some know. of them are real good. Well, yeah, we didn't like that. We we didn't, we wanted it to be more real and kind of, you know, when people read the synopsis, they go, Oh, it's like get shorty. And you go, no, it's not, you know, like get shorty. You could make a get shorty, you know, kind of, version of this but we wanted how he was feeling to be real and we wanted the violence to be real and brutal because it's a world that he doesn't want to be in anymore so you should show it for what it is um instead of cool or or funny you know doing some sort of weekend at bernie's bit with a body and he runs into you know uh, someone from the acting class and has to pretend that they're not dead you know it would have been easy to do that stuff, but you know, again, I just feel like it would be selling it out and also kind of weirdly inappropriate, you know what I mean? Um, so, um, that's the kind of tightrope that the show walks, you know, of saying, yeah, we, you know, the violence is kind of, uh, what violence is, is it's brutal and sad. And, you know, he's confronted in the, what was second episode with the father of someone that he's responsible for their death. And he's never seen that before. You go, Oh, right. Someone dies and all these other people are affected, you know, and this, this father is never going to be the same again. And it's that guilt, you know, and him, and then the acting people going, yeah, yeah, no, those feelings you have, you know, use those, (laughs) you know, in your work. And so it's just him trying to get into tune, you know, and just trying to, access some emotion so he could be a human, you know, and that's kind of what the story is. I mean, I think the thing about people saying, oh, those emotions are important, use them in your work, is that it's both completely true Mm -hmm. and it is like so gross and embarrassing yeah and you know what i mean and that it is both of those things at the same time makes it real hard to i guess be an artist (laughs) yeah i know it's like that's the weird thing is that's why people get cagey about talking about it like the you know the because you just don't think of it that way you're just kind of instinctively doing something and then people try to dissect it and go, well, you know what it is. It's this, you know, and you go, I, I don't want to think about this because I have to go back and keep doing it. And I don't want to be aware of it while I'm doing it, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, to back to your earlier question about influences and things like that. I mean, it, it was trying hard and I don't know how well I did it, you know, this season and hopefully we'll get more seasons to keep working on it. But, um, just trying to follow the characters, you know, and, and base it more on, um, you know, I would watch the documentary Restrepo and watch those guys and I can go, yeah, what if one of those guys became a hitman? And you know what I mean? Um, instead of looking at movies. 
We'll be back in just a second. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hi, I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalin. And the three of us host The Flop House. It's a podcast where we watch a new bad movie and then we talk about it. Dan, you say it's hosted by the three of us. We've had a lot of great guest co-hosts like Gillian Flynn, Jamel Bowie, John Hodgman, Jessica Williams, Wyatt Cenac, Joe Bob Briggs, Josh Gondelman, Roman Mars. Yeah, and you said new movies. But what about the time we did Meatballs 2? Okay, okay. Yeah, sometimes we do older movies and sometimes we have guests, but mostly it's about us talking about like recent bad movies. And don't forget about the ones where I made you do a role-playing game where you played cartoon dogs. All right, yeah. Shouldn't a promo be a really simple explanation about what our show's about? So what's the show about, Dan? What's it about? (laughs) What's it about? It's about friendship, all right? It's about our friendship and how we love each other. The Flophouse. It's a podcast mostly about bad movies on Maximum Fun. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Bill Hader, star and co-creator of the HBO show, Barry. Let's get back into our conversation. Let's play another clip from my guest, Bill Hader's uh, new show, which is called Barry. It's on HBO. Um, This is you in acting class. Henry Winkler, who plays your acting teacher, Cousineau, is on stage. Uh, You have shot one of the people in the class. Shot Mm -hmm. Well, you, you were... I was you didn't bit, actually yeah, do I, the I, shooting. Well, we'll see. You were, You'll see yeah. it from the show. Yeah. Okay. But the point is that you had you had you accidentally made a connection with this guy who got you into the acting class, mm-hmm. and now that person has been shot and killed. Mm-hmm. And Henry Winkler is announcing this to the class. Mm-hmm. Now I wish I could say that this was the first time that one of my students was gunned down in the street, but it's not. And as much as it pains me to say it, it is most likely not the last. So where do we go from here? I say, we do what Ryan would have wanted us to do, and we use it. Sorry, Mr. Kusner, what's that mean? Use it? Use Ryan's death the way that you are feeling right this second. The sorrow, the rage, the terror. You know, I use my past all the time in my work. If I want pure sorrow, I call up Princess Diana's death. Or the day that my dad fell off the roof when I was a kid. Kaplunk. <laughs> Kerplunk. Yeah, he added that. <laughs> Kerplunk. <laughs> there is, um, this character is so, it's the most broadly drawn character, at least in the first few episodes, even more than the Chechen gangsters. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think... He has such a sincere quality to him, um, and he's so apparently sweet that it really lets him behave monstrously. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, he's just doing his thing, man. Yeah, no, he's just, I mean, well, you know, in that that world, in that little place, in that uh, acting class, he is a king. He's the the ruler. He's the decider. He's the the whole thing. And then the minute he steps out of that, he's just an out-of-work actor. It was interesting to watch Henry, you know, saying that to him. You know, when you're in here, you're a king. But when you step out, you're an out-of-work actor. And he went, yeah, no, I get it. And and played that, you know, in the scenes, which I thought was uh, really great. Have you taken acting classes, like acting class, acting classes? No, not really. Um, I took an acting class at a community college once where we did some but we didn't really do scene work that i remember 
Um, I took an acting class at San Francisco State University, and uh I remember that I was supposed to go to the zoo, observe an animal, and then come back and act like the animal. Mm -hmm. I didn't go to the zoo. Yeah. In retrospect, I should have. I've gone to the zoo a lot lately, and it's actually really a lot of fun. Yeah, to (laughs) act like an animal. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like there's more, if if we got a second season, there's more of that stuff that we could do, you know? It it was, because we only have 30 minutes, it's a lot of, of... having to try to streamline things and going, oh gosh, we had this big idea, but now we can't do it because we have to service the story we're telling. So we got to cut all this stuff. And, you know, um, so I would love to get more of that stuff in if we got to do more. There's a beautiful scene in the pilot episode. I think it's in the pilot episode. It might be in the second episode where your character, Barry, has stumbled into this acting class and ends up going out afterwards with everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, Barry is a a hitman. He's fundamentally alienated from others. Yeah, you know, by design, right? Yeah. And it is a it's a very beautiful moment of him, almost like recognizing that he could enjoy human contact. Yeah, yeah, that he could be a person. Yeah, that's a be in a community. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I relate to that. You know, I, I remember moving to LA and not knowing a whole lot of people and just, you know, you, you latch on to people who are in the same place that you are, you know, you just kind of, you know, just hold on to them for dear life. And then out of insecurity and all this other stuff, especially when you're young, then there's infighting and you know, people being jealous that this person got a job on this thing. And, you know, I, you know, I remember a friend got a job as a PA on AI. And, oh, my God, that's because we were doing these super low-budget movies and how this group of people were kind of pissed. And <laughs> it's just so silly. And it was just really dumb and just being young and insecure. But it means a lot to have a place where you belong. Yeah, yeah, and I think he realized that. I mean, for me, that was SNL. That scene was... That scene is me, my first season with Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and Fred Armisen and Rick Dratch and all these and Seth Meyers, all these people at that table getting drinks, and me just thinking, "Gosh, it'd be great to be a part of this company." And I, I just feel like I'll learn so much and become a better performer and writer if I just can hang with them and not get fired. I feel a little weird, and this is something that the audience wouldn't know but i feel a little weird because your dad is right over there. oh yeah my dad's here and you've actually you've talked about your dad a little bit on the show Mm -hmm. i guess imagine he's not sitting there yeah (laughs) what would you tell me about him (laughs) oh my dad's great my dad's the reason i I like he liked all the good stuff when i was growing up it was you know showing me monty python at a very young age he showed me Clockwork Orange when I was way too young. <laughs> um, the Wild Bunch, you know, all these things. I got kind of this excitement being exposed to these, you know, the good stuff. You know, uh, Spinal Tap we used to watch constantly. And Saturday Night Live. And you know, my parents were very young parents, and so they let us watch what they were watching. And I think my obsession with movies kind of came out of that because every we would always just rent movies, and I'd watch whatever they were watching or seeing Raising Arizona when it first came out on VHS. And <laughs> that then seems we, very inappropriate. You must've been like nine or something. Yeah, it was nine. 
And then I, I told this story before, but he also helped me. We, you know, we watched the movie The Abyss, and there was a scene where Ed Harris is having a problem in his marriage, and uh, later in the movie, this door, this big metal door, is about to close, and if it closes, he's going to drown inside the submarine. And uh, he wedges his hand right as the door is closing, and his wedding ring stops the door and then saves his life. And I remember my dad going, oh, get it. <laughs> <laughs> and at that age, again, I was like nine or 11. Yeah, 10 or 11. Going, okay, that's lame. Okay, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> that's stupid. Well, Bill Hader, thanks so much. It's thanks, always man. It's always good to see you here. I'm so happy for the new show and all your success. Oh, thanks, buddy. It's good seeing you, man. Bill Hader, the third season of Barry is airing right now on HBO. It's dark. It's weird. It's got some really great acting from Henry Winkler. You should go watch it now. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. I bought a mango tree at the farmer's market last year, and it was kind of doing along, not doing much. And then in the last six weeks or so, it has totally bloomed and blossomed and grown is extraordinary i'm really looking forward uh, to having some mangoes in the next few years our show is produced by speaking into microphones our senior producer is kevin ferguson our producers are jesus ambrosio and richard roby our production fellow at maximum fun is tabitha myers we get booking help from mara davis our interstitial music is by dan wally also known as djw our theme music is by the go team it's called huddle formation our thanks to the Go team for sharing it with us, along with their label, Memphis Industries. Bullseye is also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. You can find us there and give us a follow, and we will share with you all of our interviews. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. Thanks for listening to Bullseye. NPR is doing its annual survey to better understand how listeners like you spend time with podcasts. Please help us out by completing a short anonymous survey at npr.org slash podcast survey. All one word. That's npr.org slash podcast survey. All one word. Thanks.